Welcome back to the Outside Centre Film Podcast. Whichever one of you has been crying out for us to look back over the career of Gene Sachs, well, today is your lucky day. <laughs> Paul will oblige you after we finish reviewing an Australian film called The Mule, Attila Marcel, Craft Idioten, a.k.a. In Order of Disappearance, and Living is Easy with Eyes Closed. But before we get to any of that stuff, Paul, it's time for some news. And you're going to kick us off, Paul, with some uh, with something. I'm going to kick us off with the fact of the, the rise in the biblical film at the moment, which uh, which yeah. seems... Uh, for a couple of old atheists like ourselves, it's uh, great in, news. Indeed, which, which <laughs> I think is really odd. Uh, but the news is, is Hugh Jackman is playing Apostle Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, and in the, the Road Damascus kind of revelation kind of film, it's and, got the beard for it anyway. Give him and that. It, it's tapping into that that kind of faith based movie that is 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 popping up all the time now, which is really really strange. And this one's produced by Damon uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, uh, and it's following on from uh, Hugh Jackman as Eddie the Eagle, which is probably worth looking out for as well in a kind of bizarre. We're going to have to. We're going to have to do that. Absolutely, we? absolutely. <laughs> but I think the religious ones are very because because I actually personally I have certificates in Bible reading uh, from my school days because uh, I went to a very religious uh, Baptist kind of fundamentalist school and, and I find them interesting because again we're moving into this kind of non-religious world more and more each day and yet these seem to be coming uh, at us all the time and being incredibly popular and as a way of kind of using CGI it's almost as if they can't think of ways to use it so let's go back to the Bible and there's so much CGI potential in the Bible that that's almost the explanation in itself. So I'm actually quite looking forward to that. And again, because as, as uh, I said, I went to a Baptist school and of course the Baptists and uh, it's all about the New Testament. Uh-huh. And of course, Paul is the New Testament. So there's not many New Testament movies. They focused on the Old Testament mainly with uh, kind of Noah and Exodus and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to it because it'll be... Uh, because, again, my Bible reading uh, exams were often in things like uh, Paul the Apostle, Letters from Paul and stuff. So, uh, so we may well do that one. We're not doing that so one. Happy. We're not doing that one. I'll tell you that for a fact. But uh, no, it'll be interesting because, of course, you know, you know, you know, as you said, you know your stuff on that. Or will you over, over be overcritical? Yes, because it is at the end of the day going to be Hollywood. So how much is how much you're willing to let go? In terms of the academic side, as opposed to the entertainment side, we have that debate anyway. But uh, no, it, it it is interesting. It is, but we're not doing it. <laughs> um, You'll want to do it by no, that. No, time. no, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie the Eagle is weird enough for me. But it's interesting that obviously you say that the world's becoming less and less religious. You could, you could actually argue that it's the opposite. With more and more conflict and more and more battle, most of it regarding yeah. religion. Yeah. The need for faith is never stronger if there is such a thing. Well, it's us leftist so, liberals who think it's becoming less, when in fact the reality is it probably is becoming more so. Uh, and that's a fascinating thing in itself. But the key thing is is it's obviously profitable. Absolutely. That's, that's what's fascinating. Just, uh, just like priests maybe wouldn't have gone to see Nymphomaniac, even though they should have seen Nymphomaniac. <laughs> they will go and see this. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the clergymen are going to have a nice little summer when it comes out. Is it out this summer, I tell you? Uh, I think it's probably uh, being made this summer, so oh, it could right. be out Another... Christmas. Logically, a religion Christmas movie. Well, yeah, or Easter. they've been waiting for the, for the coming of the Messiah for how many, for how many centuries, so they can wait a few more months for a film. Uh, so I've got a small um, a double entendre of, a new, of animated news, Paul, mm. because we, we've been without news for a bit, so I thought I'd make up for it. 
And the first bit of news is that when I was in the town centre picking up some cards, that's the news. <laughs> and the second part, no. And I came out of where I was. Easter cards. I no came doubt. out. No, it wasn't actually. <laughs> I came out. I came out from where I was. And within five minutes of walking, I heard, I can't wait for Frozen 2. <laughs> and I thought, this is why I'm an atheist. Because no God would make me want to hear that after coming out of a random card shop on a random day. And perhaps unsurprisingly, they've actually haven't come up with a plot yet. They haven't come up with anything apart from they've announced a sequel. Which is quite interesting because that doesn't make any difference whether it's going to be good or crap. Because they planned Frozen the original Frozen a lot and that look how that turned out successful yes but absolutely awful piece of trash so now that they've put even less effort into it it could go either way it could be even worse well it could be better because they could remake it just <laughs> line for line as an Afro-American uh, could animation do. You know, and that might be worth seeing it might, even that <laughs> that's w- probably very dodgy it, it, even, even, it, it. well they have to come up with something ah. because they've, they've done Frozen on Ice haven't they and that kind of thing it's really taken off and the, the reason look and they do sing-alongs as well now, don't they? indeed now, the thing is like here's the thing look we're, there's no point repeating the same old points about although I have already I'm going to try and cut back on that what I will say is what really concerns me is that a lot of people are growing up with Frozen as their animation yardstick mm. And that, because us, Paul, we've had the pleasure of seeing some of the classic Disney films. We've also we've also been introduced to some truly wonderful foreign cinema as well, even from 30, 40 years ago that we've been able to see. People who are seeing this are going to hold all animation films up to something like Frozen. There is a sing-along animation. And I accept, obviously, a lot of the classic Disney animations had songs in them. But they had so much more to them than Frozen even offered up for ten minutes of that film. So that's what I'm concerned about. Well, on your news, I would I would quote the great John Laurie. He always used to say, <laughs> "We're doomed." We're doomed. <laughs> there you go. That's no, all you no, can I have say. nothing else to say. The, the, the <laughs> second part to this, and this is equally uh, concerning, is that last year we talked about a, a live action film of the Jungle Book being made. Indeed, this they've, they've recently just announced a live action Winnie the Pooh film. Now, we've had Cinderella, we've had Maleficent, and we've had Alice in Wonderland. So, we know why they do those. It's business. But though, And those three were mixed receptions. Cinderella, not so bad. Maleficent, very, very bad. Alice, mixed. So, there's no guaranteed success or fail with this. But, most of those aren't animal-related. Yes, there's animals in Alice in Wonderland, but essentially Johnny Depp carried that film. The Mad Hatters carried that film. Mm. In Winnie the Pooh... Everyone is an animal, apart from apart from Christopher Robin. And apparently the film is actually going to focus on Christopher Robin, which is bizarre. However, live animation, sorry, live action and animals never works. It looks either scary or deformed. Well, I would say you're ignoring probably the biggest hit movie of the time of the present. And that's Paddington. That is not a film about animals. It's well, an animal in it, it's but about it's, predominantly, it's predominantly full of adults. But so, Absolutely. But I think that that's what this... And is it the same people? I wouldn't... No, no, no. The, 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 the person who's directing this did some sort of Sundance hit oh, from right. 2014. But I, I think Paddington has inspired, and you're going to get a lot of this mix of kind of... And again, it's, it comes back to that religious thing about... They are desperate to find things to use CGI because they've got this technology. 
and and it's relatively cheap and and it taps into a lot of public uh, popular culture and so they're just searching for things to use and because Paddington was a big success and even intelligent reasonable people I know loved Paddington which again I refer back to the John Laurie comment we're doomed we're doomed (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's tapping into that and again it's bad it is bad news and but I always hated Winnie the Pooh anyway, so... Uh, but I think the padding thing is the key there, and you're going to get a lot of that. So if you don't like that, be prepared, there's going to be a lot more of it. I, I, I haven't seen Paddington, I've nothing particularly against Paddington, but I, I would imagine not having as much against it because there is only one animal in it, essentially. Like, I, the, the cast is quite impressive. We talked about the film last year when it, when it was announced. But, but it, so that is an issue. The issue for me is the actual quality of the CGI for animals has never been great. And and by actually making them look more realistic, you're making them look worse. Like someone's actually done, someone actually has posted up a mock of Winnie the Pooh, and it looks horrific. And it, but you think that is actually what he's going to look like? He is this. But m- Paddington looked fantastic. The bear in Paddington <laughs> is fantastic. Uh, whatever one thinks of the narrative. And again, I think it's that whole thing about... And it's about how technology can often drive cinema uh, at the expense of intelligence and art. Uh, and, and, of course, we're focusing on intelligence and art, by and large. And I think that's a real danger for for popular cinema. And coming back to that Frozen thing you're talking about, that actually it becomes about the technology rather than the things it has. And again, the, the, the thing about Frozen, which which why they had to do two, apart from the money they've made, they've got all of the CGI that constructed it in the computer. So it's not going to be that expensive. No. And, and again, that's a fascinating uh, kind of technological reality of cinema. And that's why you can bang out these uh, sequels to a lot of these things, because you've got... You've got it in the computer, and you can just now make it do a different movie. But equally, everything comes back to money, and if Frozen 2, if Frozen wasn't one of the highest grossing films of all time, they wouldn't have made a sequel on it. We see all these we see all these American animated films, and they, they don't do sequels on them. And Shark Tale was, was, was a, a disaster, and yet they were so desperate, they yeah. tried again anyway, but there's certainly going to be a Shark Tale 3. And there's certainly, you know, everyone says there shouldn't have been a Cars 2, we know that. So it's you know there's no exact science to this thing. Basically, success breeds success, or in this instance, success in inverted commas, because because for every for everything that it's done for themselves, and uh, to a lesser extent the industry, it's done even it's done it's a step back for the actual quality of animated films from America. Oh, so um, I mean you know Inside Out Inside Out is coming out this year. We're we're obviously going to do that because it's Pixar. Yeah, they've had one or two missteps, but. Even their worst stuff, like for example, a Bug's Life or Cars Two or Brave, there's a lot more to them than Frozen, isn't there? So well, I mean, absolutely. So I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, Frozen is an obscenity. It is absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't have actually uh, put it any better. Even though I've got, I've gone, I've used every single possible expletive that I can think of. You've just absolutely hit the nail there. So anyway, let's move away from news. We'll have some more in a few weeks. To talk uh, to do reviews. So, Paul, kick us off, please, with The Mule. Yeah, the Mule is an Australian movie, uh, just over 103 minutes, uh, which is 1 hour 43 minutes. 
and it stars uh, Hugo Hugo Weaving, who everybody knows from Lord of the Rings Indeed. and virtually every other Australian movie made <laughs> since 1985 or something. Uh, <laughs> and Angus Sampson, who's also the kind of writer and director of it as well, and uh, who's, who's kind of like a newcomer to it, the whole thing. It's directed by Tony Mahoney, who actually started off doing TV and Adam Hill specials in Australia. And it's basically about a first-time drug mule caught by law enforcement. So it's this gang in in kind of like uh, poverty-stricken suburbs of, of, of an Australian city. They want someone to get drugs for them, and so they pick on the local idiot uh, in, in, in to try to get him to do it through uh, putting them in his stomach or up his anus. And basically it's then he's caught, and he's arrested and put in isolation. And the key thing is, is they are waiting for him to pass the drugs to then charge him and arrest him. And it's about his attempts to... To not defecate, to basically. To not defecate or to hide them in some Indeed. way or other. And I would say I, I really enjoyed this movie. It was fun. It was funny. It was a bit different. And I, I like Hugo Weaving. I like yep. that he goes back and makes Australian movies. He hasn't sort of jumped ship no. and hardly ever goes back. And that's impressive. Uh, one of Hugo Weaving's first films was with Russell Crowe uh, in a film called Proof, where Hugo Weaving played a blind guy exploited potentially by uh, Russell Crowe who wants to shag his PA. Uh, and again, an excellent film from the very beginning of those two careers. Uh, but... I really enjoyed this. It was fun and totally enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was—I had low expectations, or no expectations, not low expectations. And I think that probably made it a lot more enjoyable than it may have been. It's, it, it's not a great cinematic piece. It's more like an, a, an exceptional television piece with, a well, with that, yeah. the adult elements mm-hmm. of cinema in, in kind of narrative and dialogue as opposed to the scene of it. It's a very specific period piece, set in the 70s, 80s, and so all of the costumes I thought were very very well done, or they made me think of that era, and I think that's, that's what's often good about costume of that era. It's not that it has to be accurate, it just has to make you think of that era. And the television, the, t- the 80s televisions were brilliant, yes. with yes. the massive knobs on the side and having to whack it on top to get it to work and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. and it taps into an era of, a, of Australian uh, kind of popular notion because it links into when they won the America's Cup in sailing as well. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, I would recommend it thoroughly. It's my joint film of the week. Really? It is indeed. I really enjoyed it. Lots of characters with motives. We kept you guessing about who was helping who and how. Tension throughout. Now, we mentioned for the Chinese war film, uh, back to 1942. Um, you've seen people being killed in that film, mm. and yet it was, it was that well done. It still shocked you. Here, you've seen films... People being killed in films that involve this kind of thing, from the you know police killing people, people being chucked off buildings face down into glass. You, you've seen all this stuff again. It's so well done. I was still freaked out by it a little bit. There were some good performances. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought the lead, the director himself, Angus Sampson, was excellent. He was. As was Paul Noble, who played Pat. He, uh, uh, he had a permanent smile on his face, and he sums up what this film is all about. 
Now, what's interesting is considering that the film's cast is mostly full of people who have made only a few films and they were nearly all crap ones. Yep. For them to put this out of this quality, this entertainment, as well as meaning, which we'll come on to in a minute, is no mean feat. Speaking of Pat, who I mentioned, the special effects were good, the music was good. So all the things that it needs to have done for an entertainment piece were good. Unfortunately, I, I, I personally cannot escape from the racial stereotyping that annoyed me. There's a few cliché junctures. There are a few overacting performances. That comes from the TV thing, mm. particularly from Australian soaps. Um, however, it is a slice of Australian humour and fits in with the fact that this is a film that contains, as I've said, mostly low-key Aussie TV actors. And when you mentioned last week, for back to 1942, um, about you having a problem with, for example, some of the humour bits mm. when they were walking along the road, I was exactly the same here, but... I, I'm actually not seeing that as a negative at all. I'm seeing that as a major positive. Mm. Because the, this is an Australian film made by Australians for Australians primarily. Yep. So if I'm feeling a little bit cheesed off with the cliché junctures, with the racial stereotyping, some of it is, is disgraceful, it is an Australian film. And I applaud it for that. And I'm really happy that I'm watching it. So again, it's not... It's not criticism at all. It entertains and it has meaning. It's an, expl- it's an exploration of what it is to be an Australian and explores the notion of patriotism and how people identify themselves through their class. And this is very, very strong. Through their sport, be it Aussie rules or the sailing. There's a lot of sailing in this film, which we mentioned already. and Or even through their newfound Asian I- identities uh, because th- there are a lot of racial stereotyping in there as well, as I've said. So we alluded to that mm-hmm. and the Aussies and the Dutch and that kind of thing on the last podcast as well. So, what more can I say? I'm very, very rarely I'm going to say this, Paul, but I would actually like to thank you for making me watch it. Good. Because I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and I, and we, we'd both thoroughly recommend it to everybody. Oh, totally, totally. And I, I would say it is my second uh, equal equal joint first Oh, yeah, okay. Equal joint. Okay, interesting stuff. So let's move on to uh, the next one. Attila Marcel, uh, which I'm just going to say is my other joint film of the week. Is it? It oh, is indeed. It's not mine. I know what yours is, and I can't wait to talk you down over it. Uh, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> a mute man stumbles across a holistic woman living one floor above him in an apartment block. This is a French film, by the way. There, if it doesn't sound so already. There, she attempts to help Paul regain his memories regarding the death of his parents, which will hopefully enable him to move on from the grief and get on with his life. Attila Marcel is the first non-animated film from Sylvain Chumet. The animated master from France. Uh, and his films are all about death and class. Mm. And this film is about class and death. Regarding death, there's a focus on anything, even the, minor- the minutiae of life, to distract the process. Be it dance classes, the importance of playing musical instruments, or indeed the need to revisit old memories itself as a means to escape the grim reality which is a contrast to the vibrant use of colours throughout the memory sequences, which I think are absolutely brilliant. Now, I am not a fan of French artists in cinema. You know this. Thankfully, and the reason this is my joint film of the week, is because it has, and it's so important for me, you don't require this in French films. You're quite happy with 87% art, you know, 13% normal, normal filmmaking. I want 60-40 in terms of normal filmmaking, mm. or maybe 70-30, because that gives the art the chance to shine rather than it get on my nerves. And the dream sequences, the memory sequences, there's not that many, then there's only three or four, 
They are all absolutely brilliant, with excellent use of music as well. The two very old aunts use Paul as essentially a means for them to forever mother him and give meaning to their own lives. Everybody is distracting each other from death. (laughs) In terms of class, it's very, very obvious. You've got the holistic witch, essentially, versus the two upper-class aunts who are big into, obviously, pianos and going to the theatre and that kind of thing. The good food that they eat with their parties in comparison to the to the asparagus and the mushrooms that the witch eats. Even the music themselves, you've got the cellist versus the ukulele as well. The destruction of the middle class from within French society. Paul, and indeed we get the answers, but I did not see the twist. I did not see, when he finally works out how his parents died, I was shocked by that. I did not see it coming in that particular method. I did not see it coming. Again, destruction of the middle class from within. I didn't dislike any of the characters in particular. There were one or two outstanding performances. For example, I really liked the piano teacher, who was also the critic. And he, the, the, I, 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 When I say these people, I'm sure you've probably seen films with all these people in it at some point. I yep. can't remember the name of the actor who played the piano teacher slash critic. He was very, very funny. Mm-hmm. All in all, it is French, so you have to pull up with a slow start. <laughs> <laughs> but and this is the point I actually stuck with it it wasn't too arty while still having all the hallmarks of good French cinema don't get me wrong I'm glad that Sylvain Chimay's next film is animated I'm glad he's going back but if he wants to do another one if he wants to do another live action film go ahead because I really enjoyed this one I was disappointed in it. Oh dear! Uh, I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, and I think it is very well done. I thought it was too long, uh, and it would have been better as an animation. And I, I think it was a bit like that film we did the last year with Roman Duras, where it was all over the place and the imagination was creeping in and all that kind of stuff. I can't remember what it's called, but it, it, it's something about legumes or something. But it. It would have been better as an animation, and I think it kept making me think that, and I think that was its core problem. I did have high expectations of it, and that was my fault, and it didn't, it couldn't meet them, and so that that was a bit disappointing. I I liked a lot of the things you've said. I liked the idea of looking at how one views the present through fragmented memories that don't give you the whole story which creates a distorted version of you now mm-hmm. and I, I really did like that but the the kind of uh, the look of it as well as the the kind of uh, it, it kind of uh, gave live action to animation and you were talking about that earlier as yep. a problem and I had a problem with this this in a way it would have been better with more animation in it. Uh, that sounds a bit odd, so that it took it out of you seeing it in any way as a kind of realist, narrative, uh, kind of structured film. And so I, I kept being made to think about this should be animation, or this doesn't really work, it's not realistic. And, and so the art, in a way, overpowered it for me. I would have actually liked a more humorous film. I didn't think it had enough humour. It, it was quirky, but not funny. And I think it needed a bit more of just out, outright funniness. And and it was terribly, terribly sentimental. And I think sentimentality is fine in its place. 
but it, you have to do it to such perfection in live action that the slightest misstep and it all unravels. And I would say it did all unravel. Whereas in animation, you can do so much more with that. And I wish, because I think there is so many good things in this, adult, intelligent and sophisticated ideas and playfulness and and humour that it, that it didn't work as a live action film. What, what I, I find that amusing because I didn't I didn't at any point think I wish this was an animation film. I didn't get any animation from it either structurally, narratively, technically. The dream sequences the dream sequences are not animation. There's just a filter on the lens and people dancing about. That's not animation. Except, so I, except I don't, there weren't people. He kept yeah, envisaging frogs. No, frogs were once, the rest of them were people. So it's I find that utterly bizarre. One of them was the frog scene, smoking frogs from a TV show. There was two, two, there was, two frogs. There, there was one. Of, well, yeah, the, the, the yeah the actual Linked. frogs, yeah. the actual frogs thing was one example though. Yeah. Yes, there were two scenes of it, but all the rest were people. There was on the beach dancing people on the beach. There was just singing people at the cot. It was people. Well, so, in a way, I'm saying there should have been more of the frog elements. Not not frog specifically, but other kind of non-human elements to actually have given it that boost to take it out of, out of the realism that it was trying to tap into, which then you suddenly had this bit of the frogs, and it's like, oh, wow. But I got that in the context of the film. I just wanted more of it, and I think animation would have given it so much more. Or have made it in a very different kind of way because it was trying to be terribly, terribly serious. And what's wrong with that? Uh, there isn't anything wrong with that, oh, I think except I... it veered between them all and it needed a kind of coherence and a stability and a smoothness that it didn't have. But he, he obviously didn't want to do any... Like This was his escape from animation, so for him to, for him to include any animation, I completely disagree. I think any animation would have worked in this film at all because it is a serious film. Absolutely. So therefore, stick with it. And if you would have had one scene of CGI or cell shading or something, it would have completely spoiled it. Because then I'm thinking, right, this is... What is this film? But for, for, it to, for it to veer between this and that, it had to, actually has to have this and that in it. And it didn't. It, it was a straight, serious film with a few dream sequences. That's all it was. And we've seen lots of French cinema with dream sequences in it. For example... The, what, the one where you got the adult and the child writing the story as, as a narrative outside of a house, influencing mm. what goes on mm. within the house. Mm. Yes, they weren't, in inverted commas, dream sequences, but essentially they were, because we weren't ever supposed to know what was real and what mm. wasn't. Mm. The only difference between that and this is that this is more apparent and more obvious what what happened, what isn't, because all of a sudden people start dancing and thinking, because it's a memory. And as you said, the fragmented nature of us and what, how we think of things... He the wanted and it, he wanted to think more positively about these things. Therefore, people will be more in a more animated state, but and, they are not animated. And, I, and I can see what you're saying, and and it's not that I disagree. I just think there were other things in it that undermine that notion because I actually think it would have been better as a serious film if you're going to do film, but it had that lashings of sentimentality that took it away from the kind. If of you want realistic. sentimentality, we'll talk about that later on in the list. Uh, yes, I can see where you're going to go with that. Uh, but again, that's a film... That and there's goes, nothing wrong with that if it's done well. It, but that's a and film for, that goes with, this is about sentimentality. The problem for me with this one, and again, I enjoyed it, and I watched it all from beginning to end. It made me smile, and I did enjoy it. Uh, that's not what I'm saying, and I would recommend it. Yeah. And it has all those things, but there was a 
couple of things wrong with it that stopped it being what I think it could have been. Uh, and I think they, they were a problem for me. That's all I'm saying. But I agree with you. It, 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 I, I, it's very imaginative, very clever. And I hope he does more live action. And I hope he doesn't just revert back to animation. Because I presume it wasn't a big success. Because uh, it's 2013, it's not come over here. And given that we do like these kind of things, these kind of French films, I'm still surprised it hasn't come over here, especially with his reputation with the animations he had in England. Straight onto that's rental discs, straight without the... But of course, that isn't that just... Surprises that me. isn't just represented... That isn't just of this film, like it happens all... I mean, we've seen decent French stuff that it's just not... Even not even on rental yet. So Absolutely, it's, but, it's, but I think that because of the pedigree of this, I am genuinely surprised. And actually, it is still far, far better than a lot of the French crap that we get shown in Britain. Indeed. So yeah. again, that surprises me. And again, adults would like it, kids would like it, and, and equally they would learn and understand and appreciate things about it that would build on their own relationships. That I think it, it, it's nothing but good. But it is very, very French, and I think by the sounds of it, people are going to work out for themselves whether they like or not. I just wish I, I just wish I understood your point because I just don't see, I don't see flittering well, between you, different things. You bought into it, I think, in a way that I didn't. But it's still good. It, it certainly is, just as is the next one, which is in order of disappearance, which is a Norwegian film where uh, Nils, who's played by Dylan Skarsgård, who doesn't like him, indeed, is a snowplow driver from Norway. He learns that his son dies of an overdose. Knowing he's innocent, or believing to, in, in the truthfulness of his son, he believes he's innocent. He becomes dissatisfied with the police's apathy towards the case. So he takes it upon himself to exact revenge against his son's killers. Now, you know I've always had a little bit of a problem with the Norwegian films. Mm-hmm. But maybe things are on the up. Maybe they're on I love Tarle. Tale, Tarle. Excellent. Blind. Was my favourite film of yours from last year's uh, years years worth of podcast. It was a near masterpiece, and this was a really entertaining film. This was an excellent film, really entertaining as well. I actually think I actually think it's a massive parody of all sorts of things. It is a revenge film, yes, no doubt about it, and a good one. But I also think it's a massive parody of gangster films, even westerns. The use of music, the old guitar twangs, the zoomed-in shots of shuffling feet, the nicknames of the characters are basically <laughs> taken from Hollywood westerns. So for all that talk of all these westerns being anti-westerns and how great they are, this is actually an anti-western. It's actually a good one for the first bloody time. So thank you, for, who, thank you to the director, who is Hans Peter Bollens. And I'm sure you've seen his other films. You can tell me about that. I have indeed. So we'll talk about that in a bit. I liked how I like the different, different. It is a good. It's a normal revenge film, but it does a lot of things different. I liked how, for example, the head of one of the gang was a vegan, who had a penchant for sweet things, particularly cereal. I thought that was interesting. And he represents what I got out of this film the most, and that was the parody nature, the silly humour at times. He's not, he's not necessarily the most aggressive head of a gangster thing you're ever going to see. Neither is Bruno Garns playing a Serbian mafia man. But it, it's all a parody of itself. Really interesting. When each person dies, their religious faith is posted on a black screen above their name, which is a really, really interesting thing. The death, the death of it is not always shown, but when it is shown, it's quite sudden. Again, it, things tend to be one or the other. This does both. For me, generally, this is anti-Danish war, war as well. Scandinavian war, anti in general. Everything happens quickly instead of slowly. Everything takes place during the day instead of the night time. 
But at the end of the day, if all if that if none of that appeals, then Scales Guards in it, Garns is in it, which is as funny and as ridiculous as it sounds. Because unless Bruno Garns is playing something to do with World War Two and German, <laughs> he never does the lead role anymore. If you notice, he always does these really strange little warry politically things for about eight lines, and then he buggers off. So it's it's curious. We've seen a lot of serious films recently, and some of them did their job of being serious very well. Ultimately, it doesn't take itself too seriously, however, this film, and it does its job very well. So what is the difference between a serious film that does its job well and a non-serious film that does its job? A good film is a good film either way. And due to the high-quality stuff this week, this is only third, and that's that's kind of a shame, because I really, really enjoyed this. It's my film of the week, I yeah. think. I, I love this. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was very funny, it was very clever... Yeah, the acting was excellent. All of the things you say. I think Stellan Skarsgård was was well above average in this, yep. actually, because often he sleepwalks through <laughs> a load of rubbish. He gives it an extra bit of quality. For example, I watched the Hollywood version of uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh-huh, yeah. uh, and, and he, he's in it, and, and he just sleepwalks through it. <laughs> uh, he's still better than everybody else on screen. But I thought it was nice to see him acting in this. And again, he was in uh, Hans Petter Molland's previous film, great film, A Somewhat Gentle Man, which I think we reviewed in a previous life uh, before we started this podcast. But again, quite a long time ago. And I like Bruno Gantz in it. And again, very strange. Always nice. And I didn't know he was in it. So you sit there thinking, that's Bruno Gantz. Because he puts on this really, really curious accent. Not not a Serbian accent, not a Serbian voice with an English accent. It's an English voice with a Serbian accent, which is the hardest thing to do. And he manages to do it, which is which is great. I I think it is all of those parody things. Equally, I think it stands on its own and I think that the idea of the snow yeah. as as a kind of an equivalent of the desert uh, and and the lovely performance, the discussion between the two gangsters of why why welfare benefits are high (laughs) in in Northern Europe, because if they weren't, no one would want to live there because the weather (laughs) is shit. And and you thought, that's fantastic. And I love those additional little things that you're getting in there. And that was true of a somewhat gentleman. And you get that in other Norwegian films we've looked at. And and I I think that was really good. But it it was fun. Yeah. Uh, it, It... in a way, but it, and, and it, again, coming back to that Till and Marcel, it knew what it wanted to do and it went with it. And it didn't veer between sort of seriousness, humour. It just was going to be a great film going forward with the verve of its narrative. And, and that was what was so, so good about it. I, I didn't particularly know anything about it. I, I had high expectations of it, and, but it delivered. I like the fact of the language thing. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very pro-Europe, big into kind of very positive European. I love the fact that the star of a lot of Danish cinema, yeah, yeah. as the wife pops in and actually has whole scenes of dialogue that aren't translated because they don't know what she's saying <laughs> because she's ranting in Danish <laughs> at, at, at this lot who are speaking... Uh, Swedish and Norwegian in various different points. It was Birgit something <coughs> Nielsen, isn't it? She, she was in. She was in. Uh, in Borgen, yes. yes. Very attractive lady. <laughs> but yeah, you watch. She does. That sounds so odd <laughs> for you to say a very attractive lady. But she does. She, <laughs> you watch, She does actually speak in a, in an untranslatable language, which is Absolutely. curious. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, and again with with Bruno Gantz, all these languages, the mixtures, the cultures, just on Norway uh, itself, really. and, and the way. Absolutely, and the way they all all kind of like. They take the piss out of one another as well. And, and I just think 
it, it had everything I wanted it to be and it delivered. And I think if you have high expectations of a film and then it meets them, it must be exceptional. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't go far to call it exceptional, but I would say it's, very, it's a very, very good example of what he does. I'm just curious. Like For me, there was a, there was a split. The Mule and this do a very, very similar thing and they both do it in different ways. They've both got the serious message, the fun, the entertainment, the, cin- the cinema, everything. So I put the mule above this, and you put this above the mule. Because uh, when I was talking about cinematic, yeah. this uses the full width of the camera in a way that I think the mule doesn't. The mule is a very narrow, partly because it doesn't ever leave a confined spaces. That which, is not a, which is not a criticism. It's not a criticism. But actually, in cinema, Craftidian actually exploits the the kind of wide screen to engage with the landscape that is as a core part of the narrative in a way that I think the mule didn't. And that's why I, I would put it just above it. The final thing I'll say about this is that I am desperate for more anti-Westerns like this. Mm. But as I opposed I, to real Scandinavian Westerns. As opposed to real anti-Westerns. I want, I, I want this, this type of anti-Western because this is the stuff that works. Americans could not make this film. They think they could... But the humour wouldn't be as good. I agree. The killing would be... They would actually show all, they'd show all the killing for one thing, and you don't need to. And in fact, it's more dramatic when you don't. When, 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 the, when the, the, the vegan, serial-loving head guy, he... Which is a, which is a good character name, by the way. Mm. Um, he, um, when he's meeting with someone, you know that he's going to kill that person. So why do you need to see it? And in fact, the fate of, fate of black and the religious symbol... That is more dramatic than actually seeing someone's head cut off in and, many ways. And, and in it, a way, this captures that, that perfect middle ground that, that American Westerns are incapable of doing, i.e. they swing between the love of the violence yeah. or the uh, 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 sentimentality. Yeah, yeah. And they swing between those two. And this captures that middle ground of perfection. Perfection, indeed. Well, I'm not sure about that, but very, very good anyway. Let's move on to our final one. Uh, living is easy with eyes closed. Ah, oh, viver es fácil con los ojos cerrados. I'm, I'm taking as, that. I'm uh, not having that. As, as I like to say. Truly awful. I did Spanish for a couple of days. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's set in Spain in 1966, and it's about an English teacher who picks up two hitchhikers uh, on his quest yep. to go and meet John Lennon, who is making a film in southern Spain at one of the famous kind of southern Spanish studios where they made a lot of films like El Cid and a lot of kind of crappy things that pseudo westerns that the Europeans did at the time, spaghetti westerns. And it basically follows him trying to uh, help these two teenagers uh, to meet John Lennon, and it is just. I enjoyed it. But it's not a great film. It does. It isn't particularly cinematic. It doesn't use the the kind of environment that the lens is is tapping into in a way that Craftidian did. Uh, it's a nice film. There, there's there's bizarre bits where he ends up uh, basically staying in this bar where he gets one of the teenagers' job and the other one's living in a different thing. And the, the, it was quite an asexual film, which was quite nice. In a way, because often, uh, particularly a lot of cinema, uh, for Spanish cinema, is obsessed with sexualization of of, of women uh, and and everybody. Uh, he's the gay, the main character is the gay actor. Well, I presume he's gay because he plays a lot of gay roles. 
who was in Pedro Almodovar's uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, aeroplane flying thing recently, the name of which escapes me. Uh, which uh, and I quite like him. He's a nice. He's a nice actor who comes across as very nice. I hadn't realised he he was been in a few Almodovar movies, including a couple of really dubious suspect ones, uh, where he plays uh, someone who cures a woman of a coma through raping her, which is a very again bizarre. Happy days are here to stay. <laughs> but that's Almodovar. But again, that was probably his most dubious movie of all time. Uh, it didn't particularly capture the era. It didn't particularly have any seriousness to undermine the lashings of sentimentality and sweetness that it seemed to revel in. And and it needed to not be as much as that. And it it didn't have a a significant degree of humour either. It was just nice as opposed to funny Mm -hmm. or witty. It didn't add anything particularly to... The Beatles or John Lennon, it 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 failed on many many levels. We must point out that this was also the Spanish Gertrude uh, Gertrude nomination yeah. for a language, uh, and I can see why it was because it would tap into that kind of uh, American uh, kind of sentimentality. But in in a way, it would have been better being nominated for a true movie of the year. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> on that that true movie channel, <laughs> uh, where but it was nice, and again, I don't want I don't want to knock it. And if you want to see, I a, do a nice. Let film, me ask it. It, it. it go for it. So you go. I knew a little bit about this film, and when you said you were going to do it, I, I really was hoping you'd change your mind. <laughs> so when you told me you wanted us to watch it, I thought, and I quote from the Beatles themselves, "It's going to be a drag." <laughs> that said, Paul, in fairness, that said. As you know, I love old music. Those damn skiffle bands. I love old music from the mid-60s onwards. I'm a huge fan on it. And I love music films, as we said before. So anything. Miracles can happen. Except for the fact that this was every bit as cliched as the very worst kind of road trip film, sentimental coming-of-age rubbish from the States, or even the worst music films. One of which one of which we reviewed last year from Britain, which was a fuck-ton better than this. <laughs> This tried to be something... Which film was that, by the way? Northern Soul. Northern Soul. Oh, this tried that. to be more by having Spanish politics, but it never amounted to anything. It needed, it needed more subtlety with that, rather than, oh, here's some paint on a hill, here's a road sign. Speaking of, speaking of intelligence, or lack of, I thought the teacher character, I think it was the actor you were banging on about, yep. was actually incredibly patronising towards all the other characters, yes. and me... Which reminded me of sitting next to you with your pretentious highfalutin drivel, Paul. So that put me in a bad mood. <laughs> now, I'm really glad. I'm absolutely <laughs> delighted it wasn't put forward for Gertrude, the final shortlist of Gertrude. Because whilst it's true the Americans love the Beatles, in fact, well, surprise, surprise, of course they did. Yet they realised what a load of junk this movie was, starting with the appalling comic voiceover at the beginning which is utterly bizarre, moving on to a classroom full of kids being taught Beatles lyrics. Now, I wasn't born in the 60s. We know that. Neither were you, but that's, that's quite... I was. <laughs> I was! I was! <laughs> you were. And yet I know, I know, the schoolrooms were incredibly serious and strict places. The dreams took place outside, not within. And why was it the opposite in this film? Because it sent a mental rubbish. 
The foreign language genre is the only one, Paul, that can offer up originality with the potential of changing the world. And I mean that seriously. Or exploring unoriginality, but with authentic and considerable improvements. Right? Which is what we've seen this week. Yeah. However, after 40 minutes, I realised this film was doing, has done, and was actually striving not to do any of either of those things. And I could not waste one more second watching Rubbish You like didn't that. watch it to the end. I certainly didn't. Oh. I, I, I could not. As soon as I got to a crippling wheelchair, I thought, oh, that's it. <laughs> because that, that, that just, that made, that made me realise why you actually put this film forward. So, I thought, <laughs> so um, what, what on earth can I say? It's, and, and the thing is, it's actually, it's actually gone down quite well. And of course it would do, because it's a film about the Beatles. And people love it. And, it's gonna, and even if this film, as I completely concur, it doesn't make you think of that era. So you're going to sit there watching this film about the Beatles, but you will bring your own era experiences to it, if you are of that age. And therefore, you will forgive a lot of its ills. You will perhaps even like the thing. But it's, for me, it's just far too sentimental. And, I, I could, I, I, and as, a, as an opportunity of presenting something to the world, this is such a waste of time. There is nothing, there is nothing, I've got nothing against doing a film like this, but you have to make it mean something. It cannot just be, in Spain, we love the Beatles. There is a teacher, a fictional teacher, that loved the Beatles. He wants to go and see them. When you look at the Oscar list, as much as I was disappointed with the winner, three, the three films that we've reviewed off this list, and hopefully we'll do Wild Tales and Timbuktu to finish the list, and maybe some of the others, well, we've done some of the others already, there's an awful lot of films that actually do mean something. And for foreign language, it's so important. It doesn't mean that it has to be so up its own arse that you can't enjoy it, but it has to have something you can hold on to. And this isn't about me being too young for it. No, no. Or, not, or, 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 or being It's just missing something. It's, in, fact, in fact, I'm the perfect candidate for this. Because I'm not from the era, this film wants to make me appreciate the era. It wants to make me wish I was in the era, and it cannot do it. So, And it, and it doesn't do it. So it isn't... Utter disaster, this film. Utter disaster. And I know it's gone down quite well. But that is a lot of... That, that without doubt for me, it's a lot of people's love for the Beatles because that music has been dead since they stopped, basically, for most people. So, well, uh, me, you know, it's a, a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's not a mess because there's not enough in it for it to be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you have you, you, you have nailed it perfectly in that it, it doesn't mean anything. It's not trying to sort of have a point of view about anything. It's almost a fantasy film that someone has thought, oh, I had a teacher back in those days who I really like, and they've taken a single bone of niceness yeah. and created the whole kind of person and narrative around it. And, of course, that fails, and so it doesn't mean anything. I, I'm not a big fan of the Beatles, but equally, they're hardly in it. Musically, and it's kind of like give us a bit more. It's like they had permission to have one song, so that they beat it to death, uh, which, which I can't, can't believe is true. Which would have been a better outcome for me than actually watching any more of that film. Absolutely, but I, I think you, you got it. There wasn't any point to it, other than it being a nice story. And again, great art has to mean something. It has to challenge your perception of something. And what I wanted it to do, for example, or it would have been nice, or it would have added to it. Is that notion, for example, Franco, in that era, fascist dictatorship, everybody went to Spain to make movies because it was cheap. Indeed. They didn't have a problem with the fact that it was a fascist regime, including John Lennon. The great yep. rebel is in the middle of Spain, in the middle of... 
give us something. Something. Not just a road sign that says, hey, be Franco Spain now. Yeah. <laughs> just something. And I thought <laughs> it, it did. It was just a nice little fantasy of someone remembering their nice teacher. that they. And again, he probably wasn't that nice. Uh, but they constructed this whole thing around him, and it, and it was thinking uh, that the Gertrude Committee would love it because the Americans love the Beatles, yes. and it's what, yeah. what an utter failure. But true movie Dear fan, me. if you are a true movies fan, you, you'll love this. You know, I've sat and watched a few true movie movies uh, in my days, uh, uh, which I should probably be shot for. But if you like true movies that are sentimentality and have no meaning. This is for you. I'd back our listeners to, to, be, to be with us on this. So therefore, I just want to ask you for my point of view, and I'm not even going to warn about spoilers because I just want to know, does he actually get to meet John Lennon in the yes. end? Yes. Do you... So... How does that work? Is there an actor... You don't pl- see... No, you don't see it. Oh, well, that, They go to oh, the studio, and, and, and he says, can, can I go and meet him? And then one of the security says, I'll, I'll get you in to see him. And then the two young people wait outside, and you just see him go in... So you don't even get the caravan. pleasure of watching a caricature random actor with Absolutely. big glasses and brown hair play. Absolutely. So they make you sit there for an hour and 50, watching this shit, and you don't even get to see the main man at the end of it anyway. And in fact, this almost says that one of John Lennon's biggest hits was co-written with this teacher. Oh, my... <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> I'll never have a go at a lot of your films. Rightly so. Uh, but but, the, but it, this... It was, it was a Gertrude nomination. You, that's why <laughs> I picked it, because you'd have thought... No, no, no. There, there must be something but equally, of merit to but it. But equally, my, my, I've had a quick look down the entire list and I've cherry picked ones that I'd like to see and there's only eight and we've seen an awful lot of them already so I would I would never have chosen to have done this because I had a feeling it would be this way and what I'm surprised is that how even below my expectations it actually managed to get well, and, I, and I've been a big fan of, of uh, Spanish cinema since since the early 80s uh, and I've always liked, and in fact, I will get you to watch another Spanish film later. Please in the year go ahead. But to, like, I, to I'm actually not... see how you see that in comparison, because it, and that's the difference. The one I'm going to get you to watch again after this, it has a point of view. It has, it is, it means something, and it is actually in pretty much the same. It's a little bit later, but a similar kind of era, uh, and so, and it'll be quite a contrast. And that's the thing about Moldova, really. Moldova always has a point of view. Yeah. That's something. Even whether you suspect, even, even if it is the most bizarre and crass thing, yeah. he has an opinion, and you, you agree with it or you don't. This is what I want from cinema. I want a director yeah. with an opinion, yeah. and then I decide whether I agree with that opinion or not. And that's that's what I need. And all the others this week and and, and in other weeks, great, we've watched so many great films. I would honestly say this is probably one of the top five worst films that we've ever done. And we've done some shit. For me as well, not just from you. So that was... <laughs> so, you know, living as I love that little caveat. Li- oh, even I have made it. Well, just that one Korean film was duff, <laughs> apart from that. Anyway, let's move on then to that one... I know you're sitting there at home, you've been saying, oh, I, you talked about nice films. When are you going to pay tribute to Gene Sachs, you idiot? Paul, over to you. <laughs> well, given that Gene Sachs died last week... It did. Uh, it is timely. It is timely. It was 94... Of course, he, he did only make about eight films. Yes, yeah. But uh, it's partly to do with my age. They are all key films of my uh, growing up in in cinema, uh, American cinema in particular. Well, barefoot in the park, I mean. Indeed, you know. and and I think if you can see four of the eight are Neil Simon films. Yeah. Uh, 
Now, I would equally add that the other four are Neil Simon S. <laughs> so, in fact, he just makes Neil Simon films, basically. And uh, But I always liked Neil Simon because of how I grew up. Phil Silver's, uh, Sid Caesar's show, uh, those kind of things, often written by Neil Simon, uh, Woody Allen and Mel Brooks together. And so this taps into that. And I grew up loving Mel Brooks, uh, mm-hmm. Young Frankenstein mm-hmm. and that. And again, it all taps into that. Neil Simon was very different. It was a lot more kind of like a nice wittiness. But again, it made you laugh. It made you smile. And so if you think about Barefoot in the Park, The Odd Couple, and The Odd Couple is one of the great odd couple movies mm-hmm. that almost defines a genre and everything else is compared to it. Bizarrely, they've just commissioned a new television series of The Odd Couple with Matthew Perry, which hopefully they will cancel after two episodes. Drivel. <laughs> like all his other stuff that gets cancelled <laughs> yes. after one episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, uh, Ingrid Bergman and Goldie Horn in, in one of her last movies, and one of her first movies, Cactus Flower, and, and Alan Arkin. So there's all of these people that I grew up and I loved. And I love Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin oh. is, is, is one of the most brilliant actors of all time who doesn't indeed indeed this guy and gene Sachs. he was also an actor and he appears in quite a few films as well uh, notably the prisoner of second avenue and again i have very fond memories of the prisoner of second avenue because of the way one used to watch cinema for example i have seen the prisoner of second avenue four times at the cinema but i never paid to see it once because he always used to get That's right. films. As you said before, yeah. And so, and again, this was one of those films that he was always popping up all the time. And again, another Neil Simon film, I think. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was interesting that he was married to B. Arthur, who's the tall one out of Golden Girls, for a long, long time. They had kids. And so, and again, I didn't know that till I'd looked him up. So there's lots of stuff. If you're about 50 or 60, that actually you will know virtually this this man's entire oeuvre as they say (laughs) (laughs) as well as him especially if you're old if you're older now and you're stuck in front of your television because you're senile you'll see him popping up in law and order and things like that as well so uh, he's he's actually quite a a kind of key person in that era who also directed a lot of key theatre that became cinema as well so it's just fascinating, and, and and I thought the guy was dead 40 years ago, so uh, it's nice to see that he lived to be 94, and he outlived B. Arthur as well. So what more can one say? And I would say, of his films, check out The Odd Couple. If you've never seen The Odd Couple, and you are a younger person, uh, it is the movie that all Odd Couple movies are judged by and come from. By Shrove has been a fair few. Check, But check out Odd Couple. For that alone... He goes down in history. Goodbye, everybody.